0: Hello and welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Vinyl Countdown. The podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, answer all of the burning questions you may or may not have uh, about all of my favorite vinyl releases. Today, we are going back to the beginning. Well, the beginning of, of, of Coheed and Cambria. Uh, not the, the story that is this huge sci-fi, just... Mess of a fucking story, uh, because technically this first album is the second album in the Amory Wars saga, and um, anyway, but you know, let's not get into that. Uh, <laughs> I will be discussing their classic debut album, the Second Stage Turbine Blade, released in two thousand and two. I didn't come across this. Album uh, probably until two thousand five, because I actually I didn't I didn't hear of of Coheed until two thousand four really I think like the summer of two thousand four, so this album I totally missed it when it came out, and uh, I actually it's funny so I was in New York for a week in the summer of two thousand four, and the channel Fuse back when they weren't. Like MTV Light and playing bullshit all the time when they were actually playing music. They, I saw a song. Uh, I think it was the favorite house Atlantic. There was a video for that summer, and I was like, "Man, that that Kogi and Cambria, weird name, weird song, but I like it." You know. And then the the winter of two thousand four, I believe I got a uh, Warp Tour two thousand four compilation disc, and the song "The Three Evils." Was on that And I was done I was hooked So I bought That was actually on their second album uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 And then a few months later I bought this album uh, I, 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 At the time I didn't know You know I thought I was like Man this band They have to have like You know two or three other albums right That was only their second album That I first heard And it was just incredible So I was like man this This band is this band is something special, right? First album, it's wonderful. But like I said, we'll get into it. Um, when researching this and trying to find any other vinyl presses beyond the one that I have, or like the, the three that came out when, when, the one that I have came out, there's only one other time that it was pressed on vinyl through uh, Defiance Records by way of Equal Vision uh, Records it was in Germany on black vinyl limited to 500 in 2002 when the album came out. And that's, that's it. Uh, I, I couldn't really find much information on why they only pressed that one, why they didn't start in America. You know, it it just seems like a, just an odd place to like, Hey, of all the places we're just going to press this one off limited thing in Germany and nowhere else. So it, kind of goes without saying it's it's pretty rare and i i've seen it starting around three hundred bucks for any variant any any copy that anyone has so it's going to be pricey if you know if I were ever to to track that down for any less than that just for from a collector's standpoint, you know it might be worth looking into, but you know that, that that's a lot but then, nine years after the fact in 2011, eleven i'm pretty sure it was t- Along with the Never Ender tour that they did that uh, that year for for the album, when you know, if in in case you're not familiar with Cody and Camry and what they what they've been doing, they started a concert series called the the Never Ender series, and basically they just do one of their albums from start to finish. And I think initially it was done in, in New York and maybe a couple of other places, a couple of cities, but it was a four night event. Where they would play, they played the, this album, their second, third, and at the time, their fourth album, The uh, Good Apollo Volume 2, was the newest one. So they did those four albums on, it was four separate nights, four albums, and this, this huge event. And then they actually ended up doing where they, they would tour the country doing these shows, like one off shows here and there, where it was like, okay, this tour is gonna be Second Stage, Turbine Blade, Never Ender, which that's kind of what this vinyl was uh associated with like it had um i believe there is a tour exclusive version there is you know there's in there there's a white retail and then the the green that i have uh, I'll get into but uh I actually saw them on the in keeping secrets silent or three never Ender in 2014 and it was it was really great but so anyway the uh speaking of that tour. Uh, variant only i just came in standard black limited to a thousand it was hand numbered and i only found two on discogs that are available didn't find any on ebay or anywhere else and they're selling for 400 and 445 dollars a piece so again pretty pricey then there's the the white retail version that i mentioned also limited to a thousand and a search on Discogs, eBay, just the internet in general, cannot find one. So I imagine if that ever pops up anywhere, it's not going to be cheap. Uh, You may have to sell a kidney, who knows, right? But if you can find one, if it eventually does come for sale, just like the the random German pressing, be pretty cool to get my hands on that. And finally, we have the opaque green marbled variant. This one, Limited to three thousand, so seemingly it wouldn't be that expensive, right? Because there should be a ton out there. Uh, but it was only available through the VIP fan site. It also came with a poster, of which a thousand of the three thousand posters sent out were signed by the band, kind of at random, I guess, or the first thousand or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have one. I checked again to make sure, and hey, my poster is not signed. So, kind of sad about that. But uh, there's the VIP tour laminate, which at the time. Would get you in. I think it lets you cut the line, and then you could, you could see a uh, a, a quote-unquote VIP uh, acoustic set and all this whatever be you know, before the show. So it's pretty cool. The uh, the LP, which is on 180 gram vinyl, and an exclusive 7 inch that featured the songs "I Robot" and "Elf Tower, in New Mexico." All of that, when it was brand new, was only 40 bucks. The reason I say that, <laughs> is because. Now, and again, this is one of those ones that I've had it since it came out. I ordered it, I pre-ordered it, like you know, I, I got my hands on it, put it away. Great, wonderful, I love it, right? I didn't know how expensive this record was until maybe three months ago, and I started looking around, just kind of, just bored, I guess. And the two on Discogs at the time, one was going for three hundred dollars, and the other was going for a thousand. And I was like, man, no fucking way if I gonna pay that much for this record. Like, like surely there are more out there than that. And sure enough, like a week later, the $300, the $300 uh, version or whatever they were selling, it sold, it's gone. Now the $1,000 one's still there, but it, when I actually looked into it, it's missing like the tour laminate, the poster, it's not in great condition. So that price is—that seems like a ten-year-old. that was like, "Oh, hey, I'm gonna sell this record for a thousand dollars because I thought it so sell for this." But there's no fucking way. That—that's a—that's ridiculous. But there is a quote-unquote complete package that has the sign poster, has everything else, and it's supposedly in mint condition on eBay for twelve hundred and fifty dollars. That's an insane price, and I don't see. I don't see that selling, uh, that, that's really, really, really shooting high, but I am curious to see if it does sell, I mean, if it does, holy shit, right? Uh, now mine would probably sell for like 40 bucks because it's all shitty and um, before I really was ever planning to, you know, to play the record, it was actually nailed up, hanging on my drum room wall at my place. So it's not in the greatest condition, but hey, I still got it, right? So whatever. So in in my um, original deep dive, going through all this, the, the the records and trying to figure out, hey, how much are these all these worth? And whatever, I actually stumbled across the comics as well, which are going for pretty decent prices, you know. And I even have some sitting in a box that I got for free from a buddy of mine, which I'm never going to sell them. Like that's not that's not my thing, Like I don't care to sell anything that I have like that, Like I don't, um, I'd rather have them and look at them and be like, hey, that's fucking cool, I want, I want to keep it. Like, yeah, I love them too much, but it is kind of fun seeing the value of things and, and just how much they're going for, you know, for example, like there's, there's an issue, it's a, the first printing, I guess, of this issue, it's like, it's going for like 70 bucks. You know, and, and most of them are going for 20 to 30 to 40 dollars which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know when there's 20 issues or whatever, it starts to add up. Like That's, that's a pretty decent amount, but you know, it's, just, it's pretty cool. Uh, speaking of the comics, if you didn't know, there is a comic book that's associated with the music. Uh, a lot of people kind of get that wrong. Sometimes they say, uh, well, you know, this, this band is writing this comic and back, back in the day before they were really huge, I guess. Uh, diving through some of the old message boards, like you know, they they say, "Well, this band, uh, uh, Coheed, writing this comic book, and now the music is going to accompany that." And it's like, "No, no, jackass! It's co- completely—it's opposite of that. The music came first. The story came—the story and the music came first, and then the comic came later to help flesh out the story and what was being said on on the albums, right? So that and, and that—that's something that's—it's—it's it's interesting. But I will say it right now, it's a lot, and it is exhausting trying to read through it all. I remember it when Good Apollo 1 came out in 2005, and, and I tried to go through, and even then, like it was only three albums in, but man, it was a fucking mess. So, I'm not gonna get into that like really deep, I guess, because there's literally an entire podcast dedicated to just that. So, you know, hey, uh, if if you want to do that but you know, take a month off of work sit around and just fucking read coheed stuff because it'll take you about that long to read through it all and then try to figure it out later it's it's a lot but uh but this this vinyl getting back to that it looks amazing uh, the package with all the extra goodies is just awesome coheed they always do this they they put a lot of care into their releases like a lot of the especially like the box sets when you really, you know, you spring for, you know, the 60 or $70 version that's like really limited. Uh, The, the color Before the sun, that album, the unheavenly creatures. I, I have those two. So at some point I will probably do episodes on that, but they, they really take care and they want their fans to have something really fucking cool. And they, they pretty much knock it out of the park every time. Uh, There's a reason why they're my second, favorite band of all time behind Thursday. You know, and not to mention, you know, their live shows are just insane, they're, they're incredibly talented guys, and really fucking nice too. So, can't say enough about them. But, on to the music. <clears throat> Track one is called the Second Stage Turbine Blade. Uh, by the way, speaking of the the second, the, the the use of the of the number two in the title, the next album is In Keeping Secrets Secrets of Silent Earth, three. Then there's Good Apollo, four, right, right? So, what they're doing is, it's in in the chronologically in the 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 I guess the uh, the timeline of the story. This album is actually second, and then the In Keeping Secrets. Silent Earth 3 is the third part, and then the uh, Good Apollo 4 Volumes 1 and 2 are the fourth and final parts of the, <clears throat> of the story, at least at the time that's how it was written. And then their fourth album was the prequel, so that was the number one, right? So and it was called Year of the Black Rainbow, it didn't have, although the first song on that, I'm pretty sure the first song on that record was called One so they did make reference to the fact that this is at least in the timeline and in all the the story and everything else that is the first album but it's actually their fourth album so anyway it's kind of confusing but that's that's uh some of the stuff they, they they put a lot into trying to get all this stuff like uh really uh really interesting and it's fun when you dig into it you know uh, so anyway, this this first track—it's just a—it's—it's it's grainy violins, pi- uh, pianos. Um, what what's also interesting is that this first track on the first track on Apollo Volume One, and the opening instrumental arrangement for *In Keeping Secrets of 3, 3, which is another redoing of a piano ending from another song, which I'll get into. It's it's this same piano in, like uh, intro or whatever, but done with a full orchestra on the Good Apollo version, right? And on In and Keeping keep Secret, Keeping Secrets as well. There there's it's not a full like orchestra, but it's it's some some different instrumentation, but it's the same it's the same melody, the same thing. So it's kind of a cool callback to this album, and uh, but anyway, you know, it leads right into Time Consumer, which. Is a, a live show, a live show staple of theirs. That's, you know, for me, I hold in really high regard as one of their best songs uh, ever. And when seeing them live, even even listening to it, it, just with headphones on or, or or on my speakers or whatever through, through the, um, the sound bar, you know, the opening bass drum. When it, it hits, like it, it's it, that's what starts it, right? It's just one single bass note. And it hits so hard, live and on the album, it's it's great. It hits you right in the fucking chest, right? And uh, it's a pretty great start to the album. You know, Claudio Sanchez, the lead singer, his uh, his range, it's he you know he goes from high to low. It's kind of that's been defined as one of his characteristics throughout throughout their careers. You know, he has a he can sing really well, but he also he has a he can sing low. He can sing really, really, really high and everywhere in between, like it's great. Uh, Guitar solos, the drumming, like really sets the tone for the rest of the album in a really nice way. Uh, So next, you know, next track is Devil in Jersey City. There's a nice reference to who they were before Coheed and Cambria with a a little laugh and Claudio says uh, Shibuti, right? So Shibuti was Coheed before Coheed. There, there's some really good songs from that time period, uh, Cassiopeia is probably my favorite, that are worth tracking down. Uh, they even they released a, uh, an EP called the Delirium, Delirium Trigger EP under the name Shibuti with their original drummer, Nate Kelly, that <coughs> there's three songs from that EP that made it onto this record. Uh, two of them, Delirium Trigger and 33, are full, full tracks And what, I, what I've heard I don't know how true this is But it, it, listening to them back to back it's, It kind of sounds like it could be true Is Those demos were so good They didn't want to mess with them So they basically just sent them in Exactly the same And they just remixed them And made them sound a little better But as far as re-recording the, any uh, instruments or vocals None of that is different So the demo is basically the complete song It's the same song that made the album June song provision, however, is it's an acoustic demo, so it actually it got re-recorded. Some of the lyrics were changed. There's it's only Claudio and, and guitar and, and a couple other things. But of those two songs, if you really listen, uh, Josh Eppard, who is their drummer now and has been their drummer uh, for a number of years, uh, minus a couple of years when Chris Penny from Dillinger Escape Plan took over, uh, he has a style pretty it's pretty unique to him to, to coheed and for me, th- he was one of my biggest influences, along with uh, Tucker Rule from Thursday and Tony Thaxton from Motion Monique City Soundtrack. As far as drumming is concerned, like they, those are my three. That's kind of the, you know, the the, the triforce of drummers for, for me. Anyway, but uh, when listening to to the the songs that were recorded with Nate Kelly, as opposed to the songs that were recorded with Josh Eppard. You can you can really you can tell a difference between the drumming styles. The, the, just the way they the songs. Even I don't know. It, it's weird how how much of a difference that one thing can make in in regards to how the song sounds or feels or whatever. And it's not bad. I mean, Nate, Nate Keller, is he's a damn good drummer, but I think Josh was, was the, the right choice. But anyway, uh, back to Devil and uh, I was I said the Devil and God. Uh, that was the last episode. Devil in Jersey City. You know, it's it's a fun song it's high energy it, it's it's pretty great right and it goes right into everything evil which is one of the uh, it's like I don't know i it's hard to pick a favorite but you know some days that's my favorite you know other times it's another song on the album you know it's it's pretty great the whole song is great uh it, you know, within the framework of the story I could go into it. it's it's a lot but it's there's a pivotal moment that's going on right here in this particular song and the ending is I'm not going to say the most iconic amongst Coheed fans but it's definitely one that every single Coheed fan knows and then when you say it or you sing it or they hear it that that's that's the one that that's the one thing that I think every Coheed fan can agree on is that the ending of this song is fucking perfect. So, basically, it's just Claudio screaming with a, the, the band's just like it's full, just everybody's just going crazy, and he just says, uh, he's screaming, uh, you know, God damn it we'll make it if you believe, right? And that's actually from the point of view of I Believe Cambria, who is in the framework of the story. Coheed and Cambria are a married couple. Claudio... Matthew, Maria, and Josephine are their children, so that's just, so, Cambria is screaming at Claudio to get out, to get away, or whatever, right? Um, but then, you know, all this is going on, and it's just, it's, just a, it's, it's great, it's a great moment. And the ending piano is a melody that, again, that's gonna be used in the next album, and then the next album, and then also the next album after that, so they, you know, they keep that, that one thing that kind of connects everything is, you know, these little uh, piano interludes or whatever, or certain lyrical themes, or, or you know, again with it being an overarching story that is all connected, it's fun to have that one little thing that you know fans notice that you know it's like oh that's really cool. It's gonna keep everything together, right? So, uh, delirium triggers next, and it's a. It's a really dark, really creepy song with uh, some, some pretty heavy lyrics, you know, more party talks about a friend dying alone. Uh, you know, when you're cut short of misery, will you, will you pray it be the end? You know, he says to uh, come know me in a different light, come know me as God. Now he's uh, I forget exactly what he's talking about at that point. Honestly, I haven't I haven't read through the story in a while, but uh, it's something I think to do with Coheed and someone else and it's, it's just a, it's it's good. It's a really good song and <clears throat> it, it it would be, uh, I think it would be worth your while to maybe go through and read some of this stuff, at least for this first album, to kind of get an idea of what's going on and then, you know, decide from there if, if you want to keep going with it or not. But like I said, it is a lot and it's kind of hard to keep track of. Uh, Next song, track six, uh, here, oh, oh, it says headshot here, if that's not right. shot Kid Disaster, Fucking Arnold Correct, is the next song, and the one kinda of cool thing about this song, it's, it's good, it's not like, it's not my favorite, but <clears throat> there's what I call the coheed yell, but the internet calls it the crone scream, and it's this kind of inhuman, I guess It's real shrill Just I I can't I can't do it But It it makes an appearance here And It also shows up On their next album In a song called The Crowing But It's actually not The first place The first place As far as I know That it ever made an appearance Was on The June song Provision demo Uh So you know Another solid song And uh Honestly Probably the most aggressive song with the most screaming and whatever it, you know. Probably the most aggressive song on the record. Uh, next up is a uh, thirty-three, which it, it's one that um, it, it's a good song. Again, it's not my favorite. It, if I had to rank them, you know, Hearshot and thirty-three would probably be at the bottom on this on this record, but only because I guess I would have to. I have a, something would have to be last, right? And on an album that like start to finish is filled with just absolute bangers, right? To use a word that the kids are using now, I don't know. Uh, one song has to be at the bottom like I said and this would probably be it. But doesn't make it a bad song. It's just, you know, somebody has to be last. Then next is June Song Provision which oh, I don't know. Like again, on some days it's my favorite. Other days it's my second favorite. Other times it's my third favorite. You know who who knows? It goes back and forth. The uh, the acoustic Shibuti version is really good. Uh, they even have some Evil Dead sound clips thrown in and slightly reworked lyrics that actually I kind of like better than what made the full band version right. Uh, but it is incredible because there's there are some parts. Yeah, you know, it's hard to it's hard to not get a little lump in my throat whenever he. He screams this one part. He says, "He uh, <laughs> says, 'Paper cut my heart in half and discard the evidence.' It's pretty dramatic, but it's just the when when he's singing it and you know, his voice, he's really kind of just wailing this line this line out. It's it, it's it, it'll it'll get get you the get you the shakes, right? Uh, now I'm not sure if I've ever heard him do this song." Uh, live, like uh, other than the Never Ender tour, obviously, but uh, I- I've never seen them do it live. You know, I- I'm pretty sure they've done it live other places, so it- it's it's too good and too popular of a song from this album to not do it. Uh, next up is never-, never Ender, it's track nine. Uh, just a wonderful song. Like, not much to say about it, I guess. and you know, Claudio, he stays pretty low key, pretty reserved throughout the song until about like the, the two minute, two fifteen mark. He says, uh, "When the day begins to break, like the tears that run across your cheek." You, know, you hear his voice; it, it picks up, and uh, the song kind of starts to swell a bit. And you know, it, it's, it's it's one of the it's one of those it's one of those moments where you you listen to that. And it, it's kind of building to that And it's just a, you know it, it'll, it'll make you feel something, right? Then um, Also, there's a point Which I think this is in reference to Somebody in the story, I guess Is maybe contemplating hurting themselves I, I don't know, I'm not entirely sure again But it says, uh, point your gun in another direction Now that you've cried yourself to sleep You know, I, at this point in the album and in the story, a lot has gone on to Claudio, you know his parents are dead. Uh, funny, fun fact, I guess, Cody uh, and Cambria die in this first album, and, but the universe that they reside in carries on throughout the next, you know, eight albums or whatever. Well, eh, seven albums, because uh, The Color Before The Sun was not a part of this story, but anyway uh his brothers and sisters have been killed by his parents right it's it's a it's a really like an insane greek mythology style tragedy uh with a lot of sci-fi thrown into it so i mean i, I think you'd dig it if if you like anything like that again the story might be something you you want to check out even if you don't like the music you know my brother who is not a fan of this music at all when i explained the story to him uh, one time years and years ago kind of just trying to get him on board with it he, he was like well yeah I mean the music's fucking stupid but uh, I, I, I'd i watch a movie of that you know which yeah I, I think that'd be a lot of people you know uh, also a fun fact about this song Claudio's character falls asleep at this point and starts to to dream things that are actually happening. There are wars going on, people being tortured, other family members being captured, all this kind of stuff, right? That carries over into the next album, having him wake up in track five of that record called The Crowing, where he wakes up, where he basically awakens from his sleep, but he also awakens his inner power as the savior of this universe. What he doesn't know is, while he's dreaming and all these things that are that are going on in the dreams, they're actually happening. He, he's having these prophetic dreams and he you know he's seeing things but he doesn't know they're real yet. And uh, it's 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 pretty cool. So next we have God Sin Conspirator. Great closing song, complete with the melody, a piano melody that then morphs into the same piano melody that ends everything evil. And you know, that completes the album. That's, that's a, it's a really nice way to wrap it all up, and it, it's great, you know. But wait, there's more. This particular variant, if you remember, as I mentioned earlier, it comes with an exclusive 7 inch that had Elf Tower in New Mexico, which Claudio has gone on record as saying is one of his least favorite songs, uh, which I don't, I mean, I kind of get it. It's not the greatest song, but it, it's, it has its moments, and it's, it's great, whatever, it's good. And iRobot, which is a goddamn classic. It's pretty cool owning this record and this seven inch because this is the only time that that was pressed on vinyl right like the other variants didn't have this seven inch it was it was exclusive to this quote unquote v i p package uh so so to to have that to you know in my possession is is always pretty cool right' it's 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 really rare you know just like this particular variant is pretty rare apparently uh, and you know, obviously, with with the with everything that came with it, the the vinyl itself, the extras, the music, you know, the with everything, I would have to give it a five out of five. I mean, there's there's no there's no way of get any less than that for me. I guess, and and for for a lot of people that are in the coheed into Coheed like this is, you know, it's it's a classic, right? The other thing that's I've always thought is really cool about it is it establishes so much of the Cohe universe before anybody outside of the band had any idea of what was going on. You know, and it's now, it's crazy to think now looking back that they had the level of foresight to look, to, to start this world building and go so deep into it and create this huge, rich, like this history and this backstory and of all these characters on their debut album before anybody else has any fucking clue what's going on and And they kept doing it, like even they weren't like a huge band at this point or even on the next album, you know, on the second album, they still weren't they hadn't broken through yet, I guess, but they were still telling the story as if there was a you know a ton of people listening, and at the time it wasn't what you know it wasn't like they weren't like a huge huge band <clears throat> it wasn't until um Good Apollo One where they they really broke through, and that was that was like the the oh shit moment, right? That was the, that was their kind of uh, their arrival moment, you know. But at that point, they've been telling the story for you know almost four years, so it's just it's really awesome. But then you know you, you fast forward seventeen years from the release of this album, and you know nine albums later, you know, millions of records sold, a legion of dedicated fans, children of the fence, and it looks like you know hey, they might have been onto something. I don't know. I could I could be wrong, but they you know. They, Ugh, right? I mean, they're, they're, just, they're, they're incredible, you know? And uh, speaking of the seven-inch, right? <laughs> if you ever come across it at a decent price, and I mean, you know, under $200, you know, maybe, maybe pick it up, right? Uh, I found that seven-inch, actually it sold a couple of years ago for $200 on eBay. And there's currently one on eBay now for 150 just the seven-inch, not the 12-inch or any of the other stuff, like that's how you know, I guess sought after this particular thing is, because again, it was only pressed this one time and never again. Uh, speaking of, the, the pressing as a whole, like, I don't think there's any plans to repress this album, uh, so if you, if you can get it, I would say get it if you can ever find it for pretty cheap, but yeah, you probably won't until they repress it, which they they might, who knows, right? They might do like a 20 year anniversary thing or I think we've already, we've already passed the 15 year mark and they haven't, so maybe at 20 years, maybe in, <clears throat> maybe in 2021 or 2022, they'll, um, they'll re-release it on vinyl. Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's been pretty great. You know, this, this being where it all began, and it's just been a, a wonderful fucking ride, except for Radio Bye Bye on the Good Apollo 2 album, because fuck that song. And most of Good Apollo 2 as a whole, it's pretty terrible. And I will say that's that's even year of the Black Rainbow, which uh, a buddy of mine has he he hates that record, hates it, and it's not that bad compared to Good Apollo 2. So it's it's a good record. Whatever Good Apollo two is just it's it's a misstep, and there was a lot going on with the band at the time as well. So it makes kind of makes sense that that album was a fucking nightmare, but. Hey. We all make mistakes, right? Whatever. can't can't you can't hate them for it because th- their whole body of work kind of makes up for it. And even there are some some actual classics on that record. It's just that like half of it's really good and half of it's really bad. So uh, with all that being said, I think that's it. All right, I'll be um, I think initially I was going to start doing this bi-weekly. Uh, nope. I'm going to do it every week Every Thursday new episodes will be released Uh, Again anywhere you listen to podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts Etc, etc So with that being said Hey As always thank you all Whoever is listening right now And I hope to be in your ears Next week when I come back with another Album and another vinyl release You know and I'm going to have some fun So this is Jeremy Levine, and this has been the Vinyl Countdown.